Welcome to the 1% Christian, the daily Bible study where we get together for 1% of our day. We study God's word and then we head out to the remaining 99% to do something amazing with this life that he's given us. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out at soh.church. Download the Sound of Heaven app, which has a lot of great resources, including a free digital Bible that you can use to follow along with us. And if you're listening anywhere where you get your podcasts, like, share, subscribe, turn on your notifications, leave a nice comment, all of that activity first helps you to stay informed, but second helps us to get in front of more people. And I'm excited that this Bible study keeps continuing to grow. And I love hearing from you. And uh, hey, we get together for 1% of the day. We head out, we do our thing during the day. And I pray that what we do inspires us to uh, do more for Christ's sake out out there. Um, So I would love to hear from you as to what you are doing outside of the 1% with the remaining 99% uh, to be a light to this world. Amen. So we are in Matthew chapter five. Uh, We're spending some time here in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching the crowds uh, kingdom principles, right? What it's like to operate in the new covenant, which is being established right before their eyes. We're 2000 years ahead, right? And we've got this written word, the Bible with us. We're we're blessed for that. They did not have that, but they did have Jesus in the flesh in front of them, at least right here. And Jesus is teaching them what it's like to live in the kingdom. He starts with the blessings. He starts with the characteristics of God and the promises that come along with that. He then goes to identity saying, Hey, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of, uh, of the world, the city on the hill that can't be hidden. He's giving them identity. And then yesterday, we see that Jesus addresses the what we called the 800-pound gorilla in the room. That's figurative, of, cl- of course. Um, that was the law. Because everybody is sitting there, I'm sure, saying, wow, this is I've never heard anything like this before. This is amazing. But what about what we've always been taught? What about the law? And Jesus confronts the law as a whole. And he says it like this. He says, I didn't come to abolish or destroy the law, but I came to fulfill it. And what we see is Jesus came to bring clarity. He came to bring correction because there were generations of priests and scribes that took what Moses taught and applied it. But by the time they got to Jesus, and honestly, a whole lot of times in between, they skewed what God originally intended. So part of what Jesus is doing is he's coming back and he is correcting the law because there's nothing that was wrong in that law, but how they applied it in many cases was incomplete. So we start here after Jesus, you know, confronts the law and says, I'm here to fulfill it. I'm here to bring clarity and correction. And now he starts talking about individual pieces of the law and he starts out with a doozy. He starts out with murder itself. But first, before we even get there, the first line, starting with verse 21, he says, you have heard it said to the people long ago. He's acknowledging that the generations before had the law, and he's about to repeat one of those laws. Um, But what Jesus is really saying here is just because it's been around for a while 
doesn't make it totally true. Now, this happens to be one that I think we can all agree on. It says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. Now, you, me, everybody, hopefully uh, can say murder is bad. Murder should come with a harsh punishment. And we can vary to the degree of punishment. Some of us, you know, believe, hey, lock the door, throw away the key. Life forever. You should never get out. Others, you know, believe in the death penalty. But we all, or every society that's ever existed has frowned upon murder. You know, any good society anyway. Um, there's been plenty of murder in humanity. We know that. Um, but those of us who, you know, are sane uh, know that murder is bad. But look at what Jesus does here, right? Everybody's nodding their head. Yeah, murder bad. Yeah, yeah, we did hear that. But look what he says, starting with verse 22. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Huh. Wait a minute. Angry? Who's not angry with their brother or their sister? Then he continues. Again, anyone who says to his brother or sister, Raka, which means worthless, empty. So in other words, an insult is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Whoa. Strong, strong words here. So we see Jesus starting with murder. Everyone's nodding their head, yeah. And we get to just being angry. And we get to insulting. And we start looking inward like, wow, none of us can, you know, many, most of us are never going to murder, but be angry? And all those things can lead to the fire of hell? Now, I want to clarify hell here for a second. Okay, because right away we want to take that word and apply it to eternal conscious punishment, right? The place down under. That's that's what we want to apply that to. But I would challenge in this context, in the original Greek, that word hell is the Greek word Gehenna. Gehenna was a place outside of Jerusalem and not far outside of Jerusalem. It was also known as the Valley of Ben-Hinnom. Now, wh why am I even bringing this up? It's because that was the place where they used to bring their garbage and they would burn their garbage there. It was also the place that if you were a blasphemer, if you committed blasphemy against God, they would take you out there and they would execute you. They would stone you. So we may not know that unless we look in the original Greek, but everybody there listening to Jesus, you would take a murderer out to the Valley of Ben-Hinnom and you would stone them and kill them. But anger? Saying Raka, calling somebody a fool? Jesus is saying that none of these things are good. And that was what happened, unfortunately, a lot of times with the law. We take we take these things, right? And we do that with sins too, right? For whatever reason, this particular sin, oh, this is the bad one. This is the bad one. And we overlooked some of the other ones. Well, Jesus is basically saying, you commit one of these, it's like you commit all of them. 
again, we get back to all sin and fall short of God's glory, right? So Jesus is really hitting home that it's not just about murder. It's really about treating people fairly. It's about not insulting people. It's about treating people with love. Remember, you could have all the gifts in the world, but you have not love. You have nothing. That's scripture too. Let's continue. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there, remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them and then come and give your gift. Huh. Like a lot of churches today, a lot, it's all, you know, unfortunately, it's a lot about the finances, right? So back then, right, in the law, you had to give a tenth of everything that you had, what to take care of the priesthood, to take care of the temple, rightfully so, fine. But you were robbing God. It was very offering driven, right? You would have to give an offering sacrifice to even be forgiven of sins. So what is Jesus doing? He's setting a new standard. He's saying, you can bring your gift, but reconcile with your brother. Leave your offering and go. Go make peace. How we treat one another is more important than what we put in the basket. I mean, think about it this way. Could you imagine saying, wow, I really treated my spouse terribly today. I bet you an extra 20 in the basket will take care of it. That's not the way God works. God doesn't need your $20 bill. God wants you to be loving to the people around you, especially those that are close to you, but everybody. To Jesus was trying to get us out of this transactional nature of like, wow, I really messed up. How much can I give to make it go away? That's the way it was in the old covenant, right? You give your best cattle, your best pigeons, your best whatever. You make up for your sins. Well, that's not a, that's not a, a strong relationship, right? A relationship should revolve around true repentance and forgiveness, true apology and forgiveness. God is trying to really take us away from the external stuff, and he wants us to look inward. He's trying to change our heart here. He's trying to change their heart, and he's trying to change your heart and my heart and say it's not always about what you do. You know, uh, Apostle Johnny over at Sound of Heaven puts it really, really well, and he says it like this. He talks about it in the context of his marriage. He says, if, if for those who are married out there, if you just go through life saying, I'm not going to, I'm not going to commit adultery and we'll get to adultery tomorrow. Uh, you know, I'm not going to commit adultery. That doesn't mean you have a strong relationship. You not sinning doesn't mean you have a strong relationship. Okay. A relationship is about being close. It's about being intimate. It's about having conversations, it's about being real. It's not just about avoiding doing wrong things. We're not meant to have a transactional relationship with God. God is a God of grace. And that's what was being revealed here. It says, leave your offering there. Go, go spread love. Go forgive. Let's continue. Verse 25. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it 
while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown in prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And that to the last penny, that's obviously a figure of speech. But what is Jesus really trying to get across here? Prolonged conflict helps no one. Holding on to anger, holding on to resentment, Sometimes that drives us and causes us to sin itself. But if you're in the wrong, time's not on your side. Anytime I've been in the wrong and I've tried to avoid a true apology, try avoid making amends for it, I just want to blame you know, what's going on around me, it always leads to loss, even if that loss is time. One of the most important resources we have, one that really nobody can give back to us is our time. I mean, that's kind of the concept here, right? The 1% Christian. We take 1% of our day and we give it to God because we want to make sure that we get started. We want to make sure that we give God some attention, some focus, some glory. It says if we seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness, everything else gets added to our life. And I've had countless, you know, testimonies from you who are hanging with me here every day saying that, hey, this 1% helps me out with the 99. I feel like I'm more productive in the things that God wants me to do. But in here, he gives the example of, of being at odds with somebody and going to court and trying to settle with them on the way and trying to just negate the prolonged conflict in our life that drags us down. And we have so much of that in society. We have so much of we're just we're at each other's throats instead of finding the common ground with one another. Can we find common ground? Can we find places to start at least? We don't have to agree on everything. And that's another thing. Not everybody who disagrees with you is a moral monster. Not everybody who disagrees with you. I try to teach this to my kids. Not everybody is going to agree with you. And two, just because we disagree doesn't mean I'm against you. It means we have difference of opinion. We could sit down, we could hash this stuff out. But when we seek to destroy each other, what happens is, is that the whole world suffers. And we prolong our frustration, our conflict. Try to settle your conflicts. Doesn't mean being a doormat for people. That's a common misconception of forgiveness as well. If somebody's toxic, they don't have a place in your life. That's totally cool. But a lot of times forgiveness is for you too. There's that old adage, right? Unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. All through this part of the sermon, from Jesus going from murder to simply insulting your brother or your sister he's saying all of it's wrong all of it's wrong to you know you can give 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 but if you don't have love you have nothing and you know prolonged conflict prolonged struggles constantly being at each other's throats not trying to seek resolution not trying to seek peace does nothing but wear us down and wear this entire world down. God's really more concerned about your heart. He's more concerned about loving one another. He'll take care of the rest. 
and loving each other in disagreement. In disagreement. And that's what I pray for us today is that we resist the temptation to live in a constant state of outrage with one another and constant state of anger and frustration with one another. Then, of course, we're not going to at least I hope none of us were planning on committing murder today, but let's make a decision today to not even insult one another. None of it's good. All of it leads to destruction. So that's my prayer. I believe that's what God wants for us today is to be better with one another, to not hurt one another, to make amends with one another, to not keep a conflict going, but seek peace and resolution. I know I sound like I'm saying this over and over again, but I want to hit it home. I believe with every fiber of my being, if we would just embrace the concept of a forgiveness culture, we've got a cancel culture, but if we would embrace a culture of forgiveness, where we give each other grace, where we realize that each and every one of us is just on a, our own imperfect journey. Just do that. You walk through the mall or you're walking through a place. I was driving through New York City. I'm looking out the window. I'm looking at all these people and I'm like, man, I'm like every single one out there was created by God, is loved by God and is on this journey. You know, we get so wrapped up in movies and all these things, but you realize that every single person has a really interesting story behind them. They're where they are is where because of the path that they've taken and that life can change in an instant and the power of God can just move and change and he can change in this minute for you right now if you may just make a decision to follow him. And say you're not going to help be held up anymore by the big things and the little things that want to keep you back. Amen. Make it a great day today. Go out and be the light to somebody. Go out and be the salt of the earth today. Love one another. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, in the mighty name of Jesus, as we go out today, Lord, be the light at our feet. Help guide us to be the best that we can possibly be today. We trust you, God. We trust you with our life. And we thank you that you give us the opportunity to make an impact in this world. In Jesus' mighty name. I'm Pastor J.D. Ambrosio with Sound of Heaven Church in Deer Park, New York. Check us out at soh.church. This is the 1% Christian where 100 starts with 1. I love you guys. I'll see you tomorrow.